This is the EWN Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Tara from Plus Fitness with Tara. I'm a curvy, fun, body positive coach and personal trainer. I love business and fitness. Do you have the tools you need to be a rock star in fitness, a healthy love of yourself, and help from me? And sifting through health news will do that. I've got fitness topics and guests. Rock stars aren't born, they're bred in experience and fire. Let's do this together. Okay, hello and welcome to Plus Fitness with Tara. I am Tara McDonald. So today um, I'm talking about my experience with yoga and why I constantly am, I guess you could say, almost nagging people about it. But I feel like at this time and stage with everything going on in the world, we really need to develop stress relief, develop self-care, develop resilience and really nourish ourselves as we go through these changes in our community, in our country, and you know, in the global pandemic. So today I'm talking about yoga. So I started out with yoga years ago and never, you know, committed to the practice after more than about two years. Did it off and on. And then I found Don Perrier, who did Yoga Nidra, and it was the most healing, life-changing type of yoga I've ever experienced in my life. I felt held, I felt comforted, um, I felt my energy come back. And I learned that yoga has different forms for everybody out there. There is no one type of yoga that is perfect for everyone. You need to find what you enjoy. And to do this, you have to take a little bit of a risk and try different classes and see what you like. But I can tell you right now that it's been the most beneficial practice and movement I have done throughout this entire pandemic. So for example, Dana Diamant, a yoga medicine instructor based in Byron Bay, Australia, did this you know, article and she said, ask any yoga practitioner to find yoga and you're likely to get a myriad of answers. For some, it's a way to feel good in their bodies. For others, it's a spiritual practice and for many, a way of life. But regardless of your approach, yoga can help reshape and unravel your habitual or unconscious patterns. Practicing yoga, she continues, says that she helps, it helps provide a foundation and gives you the tools to build good habits, such as discipline, self-inquiry, and non-attachment. This exercise is also a pathway to empower you to make conscious choices to live a healthy and fulfilling life. Today, many agree that the world, the word huge, which yoga derives from, refers, refers to greater internal states, such as clarity, peace, and happiness. One prevalent definition comes from the Yoga Sutras of Pantanjali, compiled before 400 AD. In the second verse of the first book, yoga is defined as the cessation of mind wandering. The sutras also provide an eight-limb system that guides the practitioner to transcend beyond the mind and attain yogic freedom. So what I know from my own journey with yoga is that um, everything she just said totally resonates with me. It is my cessation. It has been around for a while. It is a proven strategy to help reduce stress in my life and to provide me the constant movement that I need to rehab a back injury, to rehab plantar fasciitis, and to kind of, you know, really get to know who I am on the mat. So for example, Roger Gabriel, who calls himself Chopra's chief meditation officer, and I've had the pleasure of getting to know him a little bit through the primordial sound meditation certification I did this past year, 
states that although today most people think of yoga as physical postures, the true meaning of yoga is union, the union of body, mind, soul, and spirit. A yogic lifestyle is a journey to create unity on all levels. This means to live every day consciously with a focused, calm mind, seeking inner perfection at all times. Like any journal, journal, journey, there are many possible routes. There's the option to change to a different route if it seems to better suit our needs. Generally, however, yogic lifestyles fall into one of two basic divisions. There's the renunciate yogi. In a world filled with so many distractions, living consciously may seem impossible. This is why for thousands of years in all traditions, there have been those who choose to minimize their worldly contact and live more reclusive lives. Here, there are different degrees of withdrawal from being part of an ashram or monastic community to wandering from one sacred site to another to living in an isolation in a mountain cave or forest hermitage. Yogis living in communities have regular contact with the world. They often provide services such as running schools, offering food and shelter for pilgrims and maintaining sacred temples and shrines. The yogis who wander singly or in small groups commonly known as sadhus have minimal outside contact while the isolated yogis avoid all contact if possible. Most renunciate yogis have few personal possessions and follow routines in accordance with their chosen lineage. They have personal practices that include prayer and meditation, performing sacred rituals and offerings, devotional chanting, breathing, and physical postures. Some choose to practice strict austerities or go naked, but for most, a simple life dedicated to achieving enlightenment is enough. As a young man, Roger's guru, Sri Satua Baba Maharji, was sent from their ashram to deepen his practices in the more peaceful Himalayas for 10 years. Three of these were spent mostly in isolation and the high caves. Once I asked him if he was all alone. He matter-of-factly said, oh no, there was a bear. He did breathing exercises to stay warm during the winter and ate special herbs to satisfy hunger when food wasn't available. During his travels in India, Roger met and welcomed a variety of yogis, including one he was told was over 300 years old. He states, he looked good for his age. Some are a little austere, but most are friendly with joy and bliss sparkling from their eyes. In my experience, as long as you're respectful, most are open and generous. He states, I have been invited to sit by the fires on cold days, chanted in mountain caves, and been blessed with sacred ash. The most exciting time to meet India's yogis is during Kumbha Mela, the great spiritual festivals which attract up to 50 million people. This is an opportunity for all yogis to gather in one place to renew old friendships and catch up on yogic news. The ashrams set up camps to feed and house, the wanderers arrive in droves, and the rarely seen come down from their mountain caves. If following a reclusive path feels right for you, Roger's recommendation is to try it for a few months before making a long-term commitment. While there are Westerners living in Indian ashrams, there are also monastic communities closer to home. That sounds really interesting to me, but I don't know if I could ever be it. I honestly feel like I would lose my mind after not having plumbing for a while. But just so you know, there's different types of yogis out there. And that's one example of how some people choose to live their lives in this world that we're in. Then there's uh, another part of his article. There's the householder yogi. For those wanting to follow a yogic lifestyle but are not ready to be reclusive, the alternative option is the path of the householder. This is a more balanced approach where one continues to live in the material world while following modified yogic practices. As such, this path faces many distractions and takes, and takes a firm resolve. Roger states, as with the renunciate, keep your life simple. 
Overcomplication is the biggest distraction. Remember, living a yogic lifestyle means attempting to behave consciously at all times. Establish daily, regular practices suitable to your style of life, your family, and work commitments. Include meditation, some physical exercise, good quality sleep, and a healthy diet. As time permits, add in the study, chanting, or devotional practices. Yogis should try to live their lives mindfully, being conscious that their choices are in accordance with the guidelines laid out in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras as the Yama and Nayama. Be kind to yourself, to others, and the environment in thought, word, and action. Be truthful and honest, including with yourself. Don't take what isn't yours, including not wasting another's time. Don't waste your energy, that of others, or natural resources. Don't be greedy. Take only what you need. Keep your body, mind, and environment clean and clutter-free. Have desires, but also enjoy the gifts you have. Be disciplined, especially with your spiritual practices. Study sacred texts and practice inner reflection. Celebrate your higher self and listen to its advice. Periodically, check in with your life and see what you can do to get go of what no longer serves your journey. It could be material possessions, relationships, emotions, habits, or judgments. Cultivate lifestyle practices that birth an inner peacefulness, harmony, and balance. Even as a householder, it's beneficial to belong to a local community of like-minded people. The opportunity to practice with others and having their support in times of doubt or confusion can be a great asset. Even with your regular practices, take time for silence. This might be time to go away for a few days retreat or just set aside half a day at home when you don't look at your messages or answer the phone and do a little meditation. If you have many family commitments, make your devotion to them the center of your spiritual practice. He also talks about Vedic traditions here and he says, we can begin our yogic journey at any point in our life. However, the Vedas lay out a simple yet practical plan. It divides a person's life into four parts. The first phase is from birth until the mid twenties. This is the time for education, starting a job and preparing for family life. Spiritual practices usually reflect those of one's family. The second phase in life continues from around the mid fifties. This is the time for marriage, raising a family, creating a home and developing financial stability. Spiritual practices become less due to greater responsibilities. During the third phase from the mid fifties until the early seventies, years of age, family responsibilities are gradually released. More time is spent in spiritual practices and serving society. Phase four is the time to withdraw completely from family life and obligations, perhaps by joining an ashram community. The focus here is completely on spiritual practices. Whatever path you choose, Roger says, make sure you enjoy it. Be responsible, but without being overly serious. He states that the people he has met that he considers as highly evolved generally have one thing in common, a great sense of fun. Remember, enlightenment means to lighten up. So I want to note that, you know, that's kind of like a really good take on yoga. For example, if you haven't heard of it, if you wanted to know more about it, you're curious about the different types that are around, you've heard that it's from India. Some people may even think we're worshiping the devil, but here's what I do know. Yoga is a spiritual path for me. And it's one I have embraced because it has provided plenty of relaxation and stress relief, especially during the pandemic. One of the things I want to let you know is if you do decide to start your yoga certification after trying it for about a year to two years, you know, there are different types of yoga schools out there. And I strongly encourage you to research each one before you actually 
go in and take a class with the teacher for sure, who's gonna teach you in certification. Uh, Yoga Alliance is an organization that helps embody different types of regulations and rules and certification, you know, schools and helps us all kind of, you know, organize yoga into something we can make more tangible for us. Yoga Alliance states that they embrace all types of yoga and that given the wide variety of approaches available today, it can be very confusing to determine what type is right for you or what facility. They have a Yoga Alliance directory where they ask teachers and schools to help you learn about their approach to yoga by using friendly descriptions. There's gentle yoga classes that are typically calming, relaxing, and less physically demanding than other classes. They may also use props to aid students in their practice. I know I still use yoga blocks when I do sun salutations. There's spiritually oriented yoga classes that often include meditation in, in addition to asana practice. They might also emphasize yoga philosophy, chanting, mantras, or cultivating spiritual growth. There are flow yoga classes that are typically invigorating and they often include aerobic elements. Each posture is usually held only for a short time before moving to the next posture. There's alignment oriented yoga classes that give particular attention to precision bodily placement, often with longer holds of asanas. Classes might use props to help students attain the desired alignment. There's fitness yoga, which primarily emphasizes the physical dimensions of yoga practice. Typical object objectives of fitness yoga might include aerobic conditioning, gaining strength or building stamina. There's also hot yoga classes, which are pretty popular right now that are involved practicing yoga in heated rooms potentially up to 110 degrees Fahrenheit. The postures themselves may or may not be physically demanding. And then there's specialty yoga classes, often customized yoga for particular groups, such as seniors, children, expectant mothers, and those facing serious health condition. Specialized training is important for teachers who work with these groups. For example, we used to have a chair yoga class aimed at um, older baby boomers at my old club. And I know everyone really enjoyed Pat's teaching. Common names you may hear or read about include Ananda, Anusara, Ashtanga, Bikram, Iyengar, Integral, Kirpalu, Kundalini, Power, Prana, Savanada, Vinyasa, and more. Each style has unique characteristics and it can be helpful to consult with a specific teacher or school, review the details on their profile, and learn more about their approach to yoga. So my school was in Florida and uh, at Fish Tree. And I did really enjoy it. It was a small class, myself and one other, other student. And uh, for three and a half weeks, we learned about ourselves and what we were doing with our bodies, uh, including nutrition and spiritual. And we learned about the history of yoga, the muscles that you know were exercised by yoga, the joints, how everything is relative to the person. And you know, we really came together and found a way to bring yoga to other people. The student and I, we have two different practices. She's into the fitness power yoga, and I was more into the restorative, gentle flow yoga, like Hatha yoga and, and chair yoga and restorative yoga. But the great news was our teacher was able to manage both of us. Here's a note on why you should practice yoga by Caitlin Hoshart, a yoga medicine instructor based in San Diego, California. She states that we live in a culture where our minds and nervous systems are stimulated constantly. Yoga offers a space to slow your mind down and restore a sense of balance. In 2016, Yoga Journal and Yoga Alliance conducted a study called Yoga in America. They found that 36.7 million people were practicing yoga. 
That's a 50% increase from 2012. Imagine what it could be today. Yoga helps your physical body and postures can help increase flexibility, strength, mobility, and balance. These benefits are also why athletes practice yoga as part of an effective cross-training regimen. During yoga, your body goes through a full range and variety of motion that can counteract aches and pains associated with tension over postural habits. Not only does yoga help you and many athletes become more aware of your body, it allows you to fix these imbalances and improve overall athleticism. I know when I was diagnosed with plantar fasciitis, I went straight into physiotherapy and started working hard on my feet and going chiropractor and doing all these exercises. I wasn't really seeing much relief until I started doing yoga. And then when I was in Florida and doing yoga a few months later for full time, it completely stretched out my legs, everything from where the insertion point is for the tendon and muscle and joint in my foot. And I really felt a huge difference. But yoga for some might just be a way to help with stress and relaxation. So yoga can help with the stress. Accumulation of stress can cause your nervous body to be constantly in overdrive, making it difficult to unwind, focus, and sleep. The breathing exercises you practice during yoga can help lower your heart rate and shift your nervous system into a more relaxed state. It also promotes better sleep and increased focus. Yoga can help you connect you to more deeply to your sense of purpose and awareness of living in the present. As you start your yoga journey, what you get out of the practice can also change based on your needs. I certainly have found this and really enjoy yoga, but it has definitely led me to a lot of self-coaching this past year as we deal with the pandemic. And one book I want to recommend is by Bill Blocker, Bill, B-L-O-K-K-E-R, who talks about stress, unstress, all kinds of things related to stress. And he has this book called Achieve Beyond Expectations, Master the Five Intangibles to Make the Impossible Possible, called The Power Within. And one of the things I found really good about the book is that it talks about self-awareness. And one thing yoga does is provide you with a tool to become self-aware. So we find that, you know, a lot of people have to work hard internally and externally. And a book like this by Bill Blocker can really give you the emotional awareness you need to enhance something like a yoga practice and to enhance the current movement you do during the day. I strongly recommend this book along with the yoga practice to help deal with the current stress of the times. If you have any questions, please email me at plusfitnesswithtara at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business 
Visit monetizemenow.com for details. This is the EWN Podcast Network.